I'm Scott Farber. The good-looking guy across from me is former New York Giant, current president of the NFL Players Association, Dallas-Fort Worth chapter, the host of the Extra Point seen on this network, of course, the co-host of this podcast with me, um, Memphis living legend. He is, of course, Larry Mallory. Good to see you, Scott. And the most important thing is that I'm a friend of... Of mine. That's right. And, and, and you know what? As we get older, young people don't think that way. <laughs> That's true. As, as we get older, we start to realize that. That's right. You know what? We slow down a little bit. Everything is not a rush. You know, my dad always used to say, you know, because, you know, here in Dallas, especially, the traffic is so awful now. It's like any other big city now. Yeah, you know, when yes. I first came here, it wasn't like this. It was a lot smaller. <laughs> yeah, you know, but 30 years later, it's just New York, Chicago, L.A., Dallas. They're all the same now. And my dad, every time he would pass a wreck, he would look at me and say, well, that meeting's not so important anymore, is it? Hmm. I mean, you know, it's yeah. a good perspective. It is a good perspective. You know, yeah. um, you know, and now I'm beginning to understand what he meant. Yeah. Time to slow it down. Slow down. That's what I was slow down. Slow what down. the heck? Um, Interesting. Right. I have to share this with you. Tell me. I have my friend, uh, Carmen Davis. Right. Her mother turns 100. Wow. In two weeks. Wow. And she's only 40? And uh, no, well, Carmen's a little older than that, but she's having a party, and um, she read to me last night a part of what she's going to write for her mother, uh-huh. and a part of what she's writing for her mother was, everything is going to be okay, slow it down. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. you know, that's right. That's that's right. when you get to that age, I guess, you, can you really down. understand, slow it down. Slow it down a little bit. That's right. All right, let me ask you a question out of the blue. And then I'll tell you why I asked you. Okay. When you get to a certain level in sports, how important is the coach really? Uh, a certain level meaning the upper levels of sports or the lower not, levels? Not literally. I'm talking about major college level. Yeah. Pros. Yeah. How important is a coach? You know, I, I think it's he's very important. And, and I think the coaches, is, uh, the importance of a coach actually starts the first time you have one. And that's why I wanted to know the era. Imagine the impact that coaches have, have on young men, especially if they're coaches that are teaching not just winning in the game, but the type of character building and the type of, of follow-up. But and, you're going back too far now. I mean, but that's even for pros. Oh, You have to be respect. If you don't respect your coach in the pros, then... You know, it's going to be hard for him to convince you to do the things that you're supposed to do. So I think a coach's impact, not just in the young part of one's life, but even in the older part of one's life. But let me ask you something. When you're in the pros, if you need a coach to convince you to do the things you need to do, Mm -hmm. should you be on the team? Um, No. Where where are the player leaders? You you know, I mean... um, you know, I'm just curious about that. I mean, because you would think somebody in the pros would be so dedicated. You know, I always say it's so hard to repeat in a pro sport winning a title, mm-hmm. you know, to repeat it. And that's what set Michael Jordan apart from everybody because he was still willing to get up at 5 a.m. and run the bleachers or whatever he did, mm-hmm. you know, when he was winning titles. Where it always seems like you don't win the next year the title because now that I want it, maybe I don't want to get up at 4 in the morning to go start you know, being rocky and run, running those wind sprints, you know, that you do while you're chasing the dream. So that's what I'm just wondering. How important is a coach really to these guys? Don't they know what to do? 
Well, yeah. Aren't they, they disciplined enough to do it? They know what to do, and they are disciplined. But you have, on a football team, you got 50. Personalities. 50, correct. Yeah. Personalities that have already somewhat defined themselves by even being in that locker room with that coach. So coaches, I think, are important even at that level because now you have a group of guys that are coming out of colleges, right, you right. know, and we know the whole college situation right. that we're going through now. Um, and we, we and, and when they get to a team, there's a difference in a veteran and a rookie. So the coach really is almost like a mediator. Right, right, right. And that's across the board, even in the pros. Even in the pros, there has to be a process. There has to be a, a pattern. And if you look at the guy that, that we always talk about, which is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has not changed the team's perspective for the players. The players change for a proven uh, project or a proven pattern of operation. So it's still, the coach is still the leader. And at the end of the day, if you don't have that type of process, you won't win like Bill Belichick wins. I was trying to look. And, and of course, <laughs> I didn't turn off my phone before we started because I go, nobody's going to call me this morning on my cell phone. <laughs> So, but I'm not going to get up and see who it is. Okay, all right. Well, you know, I, w I was wondering, you know, because you, you think about that. Look, at it, I coached for many years, you know, kids, you know, youth baseball. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you watch the, the Final Four or, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament. You know, two games in a row, Duke won because the opposing team with one second left missed the winning layup. Which I never could understand how somebody yeah, that tall could miss a layoff. <laughs> you, you know, and there's the difference. It goes in, Duke's not so wonderful. It misses, Duke goes on, and Coach K is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it to me, I always go, you make the shot that changes everything. You know, it's like after the game, you hear about how great the team was that won. But it would have been a complete reversal of all the interviews and all the commentary of the game if the shot went in. Yeah. You know, the other team would have won. So I just wondered. Now, now the reason I even brought this up, uh, uh, Calipari, John Calipari. Um, I love it when you take notes when I talk. I mean, <laughs> well, you give out such so, great information. I feel so much like a professor. Um, John Calipari, coach of the uh, Kentucky Wildcats, was offered um, $48 million to coach at UCLA for six years. It's eight million bucks a year. Mm. Now he's making more than that with all of everything that he gets at the end. I, I saw somewhere it's probably around nine million a year now. And he just closed a deal, or he's working on closing a deal for a lifetime coach to stay at Kentucky, which I think is wonderful. But I look at that and I go, that's an awful lot of money to coach. And, and I'm not, you know, look at it. If you could get it, it's just like the players. Whatever right. money you could get, you take. You know, and, and you'll do your capitalistic rant. That's right, that's yeah. right. That's you right. Know, so I'm all for that. But it seems like an awful lot of money uh, to coach. And that's why I wondered how important is the coach really? Now, I think it's more important on the college level, maybe. You are still grooming these guys, yeah. you know, than maybe the pro level. Now, UCLA, you know, who offered Calipari that job, you know, they had John Wooden. From 1948 through 1975. In 1948, right. guess how much Wooden was paid? Nowhere near that amount. $6,000. Yeah. In 1975, his last year, he was making 40500 which on today's money is only 175000 
So it doesn't even equate to what these guys are getting paid. And he was 620 and 147, his record at UCLA, 10 NCAA titles, all of which came in his last 12 years of coaching. So I was just curious when I see the money thrown around for these coaches in the bidding war, how important is the coach really? And I don't know if it gets diminished at all as they get older. You tell me no. Well, you know, to me, that's that's a, a part of a, a big, big picture. I know you've heard uh, the conversations now we're having about the SAT and the ACT scores. Right, right. And how that's impacting budgets, uh, right. uh, school budgets. Right. At the end of the day, with us diving deeply into these right. different um, historical systems of process, we're finding that there are challenges in it. Yeah. And 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 I think that the revealing of this, I think, is timely because of the millennial population. Right, right. You know, we're planning, it's our time to prepare for our children's future. Right, right. And the, the conversations that's, uh, sort of, that's surrounding college sports now and even professional sports and how they're getting their money. You know, I, I, we all, always talk about how a ca- in a capitalistic country it's about capital. Right, right. And now it's that's being endemic in every part of society. Right. And when it's when it's a part of your education, if you don't have enough money, you got you can't get an education. Right. That that's a part of a system that America, I think, has held up to the world as something different than anywhere else. Well, and I don't and, want know, us to fall back. You know that college with the you know finding out these donations are made. Kids are getting accepted because dad yeah. just gave you know five million dollars to the football program. And all of this, you know, it, it, it is affecting my family. Uh, my oldest, who's long out of college, was accepted to where she applied and mm-hmm. was very happy. My uh, next two got accepted to where they applied. They're very happy. My last one is literally the genius of the family. She <laughs> never gotten below an A, ever. And she has gotten scholarships everywhere. One college that she has on her list that she wants to go to rejected her, and she went nuts, <clears throat> and and is still going nuts because she more than meets every criteria, and she's seeing some of her friends that she's glad they were accepted, but their class ranking was nowhere near hers, right. their grade average was nowhere near hers, and they say it's because they applied at a lesser college, not you know the same school, yeah. but a lesser uh, uh, major. I just find it interesting, the competition for these kids to get in college. Like one of the uh, places my daughter was accepted, she got a letter that said, congratulations, you are one of 200 to be accepted out of 40,000 that applied. Wow. And I'm sitting here going, you know, it's, it's really difficult. You know, uh, um, I know medical school only takes 19% of the kids. So if you want to be a doctor... You basically don't have a chance to go to medical school. Eighty percent, over eighty percent, are not going to get into medical school. And I think I heard a statistic where your elite schools, the Harvards and those right. kinds of schools, at the end of the day, now they almost decide who they want. Well, that's right. You know, that's right. So, well, my youngest, I'm t- you know, she's been accepted at some very prestigious schools, but it's killing her because the one that she rejection really she got—that's the one she really wanted to go to. Yeah. And it's just interesting to me to see this and how it affects. But as you're learning about how these you know, schools, how you get accepted and everything, 
it's but, just, but you know what's interesting too. That's a, it's a shame that it's got to be a battle for a kid to go to school, forgetting the fact that nobody can afford college. And the question is, how long has this been probably going on? Oh, a long time. A, a long time. And, and think of that check your mother wrote to get you into Tennessee State. The, <laughs> I mean, it's when when we notice start, how he he didn't laugh or. Well, when we start to challenge our systems, yeah. we're starting to break down as a democracy. Right. To me, this is very, very serious. Oh, um, it's, it's extremely serious. Uh, even today, you know, they talked a lot about um, white men's salaries versus women's salaries versus Latino women's salaries versus... Right. So, at the end of the day, when, when your systems start to be challenged the way in which our systems are challenged... We, we lose a degree of our, our position in the world, which has right. usually been number one. Right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the way things break down a lot, to, from my perspective, the way things break down a lot is from the bottom up. Right. And right. that's what's happening. It's starting to affect, you know, the everyday person. When my do- if my daughter wanted to go to that college and, and, and the conditions that you just explained, you would think that she should be able to be accepted in that college based upon her performance. Right, right. You know, but there's so many other criteria that parents, that we don't even know. Right, right. Well, and there's limited space. You know, we all understand that. But it's... Um, it's Is it limited space? HBCUs right now are starving for money. I was in a... I was a we did a function yesterday with Saul Brannon, who was the first guy, played in one of the first Super Bowls, and he went to Morris Brown. Right. And the funding for the HBCUs is just going south, and and we, you know we have Betsy DeVos in place. We don't we don't have the type of of higher up support that we were looking for. Right, so right. When, when even the education system, right. you know, is being challenged. So right. something has to change. Yeah, you know, in, in colleges, I got off on that. I'm sorry. Well, that's all right. In colleges, I don't understand how they could be suffering because the expense is so much. I mean, I just work to write checks to colleges. Now, I mean, that's where everything just goes, to college. And I keep, you know, telling my kids, I want to be this, I want to be that. I keep saying, just get your degree and then get a job. Yeah. You know, get out into the world and everything. Yeah. Well, we got off on a tangent, <laughs> we and we're not going to solve that. <laughs> um, Tiger Woods, Mr. Four-Foot Pot. Oh, boy, that's... I played yesterday, and everybody that played with me said, oh, we hated it when Tiger missed that putt. Oh, I... Best thing that ever happened to him. Why do you say that? Tiger Woods is 43 years old. He played 36 holes of golf on Saturday and really did himself proud. He did. If he would have made that putt and then won the playoff hole, or it might have been the second playoff hole or the third playoff hole, whatever, so he would have played a minimum of, minimum of 37 holes that day, then he's got to play 36 holes on Sunday. He might have tweaked something and might have missed the Masters in two weeks. You know, that's a great perspective that you just I mean, I, I'm... That's a great perspective. I'm thinking he's okay he didn't make that putt. I mean, he doesn't need another victory to, to claim the stake to greatness. That's true, that's true. But he might have uh, tweaked his little body. I mean, that's an awful lot of golf at, at his age. It is a lot of golf, and I had never looked at it from that perspective. I, I've had two rounds this year. I love golf, as you know. Right, right. But you also sit in the cart. I, I was about to say that. that yeah. I, I've had two rounds of only eighteen holes each. Right. Tired, 
Right. This crap after each one. Rode right. the course. Right. And he has to walk. I didn't. I didn't know the the and number. They're not allowed to sit down either. No. You know that? Unless unless there's a delay because of the, uh, the group ahead of them. So he's in good shape. We can tell you that. Right. But thirty six more holes the next day might not have been what was necessary for him. That's that's a good point. And then especially if he won and got to the championship round and then lost it, would it have been worth it to play those extra holes if he didn't win? Well, I, I, you know, I've just never seen, I, I've not had that type of comparison shared like you just shared it. And it just gave me a different respect for not just Tiger, but for all of the field is old. Yeah. For them to walk that, that many holes is right. Well, that's why, you know, you look at Phil Mickelson. If you look this year, he's always been in contention until the fourth round. Those last five miles up and down hills. That's right. And day four get harder to do. Plus practice, plus... Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, we don't realize because, you know, you go, oh, it's only golf and everything. That's right. Try walking five miles up and down hills, swinging a golf club, and not being allowed to sit down. Ever. In the, in the, uh, in the course. That's, uh, that's, honestly, your, your introduction of that position is going to have us start to use golf, too, from a physical perspective. Because you're right. That's, to walk those courses like that, we can't get kids to walk 18 holes. Right, right. And, you know, when I walked That's the great. golf course out by where I live, um, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. Yeah, you start at hole one and try to go through nine holes just walking it. At the end of that walk, you go, okay, I'm worn out. And then you realize you just walked a couple of miles. That's true. You know? I rode 18 yesterday and was completely Exhausted. Right, so. <laughs> exactly. That, that's that's my point. So I think Tiger Woods did himself a favor by lipping that ball out. Okay, that's a good point. I, I, you know, I tend not to agree. I mean, I tend to agree with that perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm right. not saying, you know, he didn't want to, and I'm not saying he would have been injured, you know, but it is the Masters coming up, and I know he works his body to a certain fever pitch, and I think that tournament he went – just far enough to say he got the good workout he needed without to be ready for the match. Yeah, I mean, That's you know, 36 holes in one day, two days in a row at 43 is a bit much. That is. Okay. Um, just very early in the season, little baseball notes. Who would have <laughs> thought that Boston would be one in four and the beloved Chicago Cubs would be one in three? Well, you know, we talked about coaches earlier. And basically, you're one of my coaches. Uh, but I don't really know any other team but the Cubs and the Rangers now. Because yeah, yeah. I'm talking to you. I mean, yeah, yeah. so I, I was a little uh, a little uneasy coming over because I knew that, you know, you had an experience this past weekend that might not have ended up like you really wanted it to. So You know, and who would have thought, <laughs> I'm sitting in, in a ballpark in Arlington, Texas in April, that I would be freezing my butt off. <laughs> that's right, that's right. What was the deal here? You know, I always laugh because I remember, um, you know, after I moved down to Dallas, um, because opening day, it's usually the kids are outside playing because it's 75 degrees outside and it's a wonderful day. Yeah. And then I flip on the tube and I watch opening day at Wrigley and it's 38 degrees with rain mixed with snow. Right, you know, right, it's, right. You know, and you'll the, give us give us thirty days. It'll be a hundred and ten. Well, that's right. Well, <laughs> that's right. You, you don't go to a ball game, especially in the day. In I, you know, I don't know how anybody. I sat through a day ball game, uh, probably twenty years ago, and I said I'll never do it again, and I haven't, because it was like a hundred and five degrees, 
and you're sitting in the seat, and I felt like the ant under the micro, <laughs> the uh, magnifying glass. Right. Remember when we were kids? You yeah. The ants. Oh, like how'd you enjoy the game, though? Well, you know, for for a game to watch, it was a lot of fun because it was eleven to ten. Yeah. As a Cup fan, I'm going, where is this pitching? You, you know, this is just pathetic. And um, uh, you know, I think the case for the electronic umpires for the balls and strikes gets bigger every game. Mm-hmm. You're just seeing too many calls. Of, you know, you know, the Cubs were pitching and moaning. Uh, uh, Cole Hamels, according to pitch track, struck this guy out. Nope, ball. Struck him out. Nope, ball four. That happened a couple of times, and then the guy who hit the grand slam after right. two outs, according to pitch track, struck out. Nope, ball three. And then he hits a grand slam. So, according to pitch track, he should have never even come to bat. Now, I'm not saying that because it was against the Cubs. You're seeing that a lot of that. And I think the fact that they put up those boxes and you see where the pitch went is not helping the game. Yeah, can because you see the it, pitch track on the big screen or something? Or on, where do you see the pitch track? Well, you know, it's very interesting. You can't see it at the ballpark, but Jordan, my son, put it on his phone. Oh, so we're watching okay. the pitch tracks of the Cub game, okay. and he's going, look at that, Dad, right in the strike zone. You know, And it's not just what's happening just to the Cubs. Don't Don't... Don't mistake me. Right. It's happening a lot, you know, everywhere. And so I don't think that pitch track's a good idea because it just gets you irked, you know. Well, I, I was I was watching a, a, something, a sports show, and they were talking about the history of pitching. Right? right. And we talked about how much money these players are making these days, even the baseball players. But the, the statistics showed that pitches are bigger, than they were in the right, past. Right. They have less work now because they're averaging five innings. Right, instead of a, a whole game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they're making, I think it was 43% or 42% more money than... Last year, probably. <laughs> right. Because so they're it, made, yeah. Isn't that something? They're bigger, they're stronger, they have they're to work right. less and right. make more. Right. What other business can you... <laughs> well, you know, you talk about records all the time. Cy Young's record of 511 wins. I don't think that will ever be touched. And I'm willing to bet, uh, I'll Google it later, but I'll bet you out of those 511 wins, and I don't know how many losses he has, but I'll bet you he finished most of his games. Uh, all nine innings. All nine innings. That's right. Yeah. You, you, know, you know, that's what you look at these old-time pitchers, you know, even going back to Sandy Koufax, and you look at it and you go... My gosh, look at how many games started, how many games completed. Now, you know, you see two or three games. You know, they'll let a guy complete a game if he's got pitching a, a two-hit shutout. That's right. And he's throwing 70 pitches. You know, they'll let him keep going. But it's, and that's um, why I call you a head coach. Because what you just did on our podcast is that you just compared pre-1993 and post-1993 in different sports. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't have to be ninety three, but right. you know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's and and as you were explaining, I'm saying, wow, it's just not football, right. Pre and post, right? It's every sport. It's every sport. Yeah, it really is. I mean, even basketball. You go back. Um, <clears throat> Michael Jordan started the workout craze when he played because he said, "If I'm going to get past the uh, Detroit uh, Pistons." Mm-hmm. Because they would beat. That's right. That's right. 
And he said that's when they got a personal trainer for Michael, and him and Scotty beefed up, and then the next year they, they swept did. the Pistons. Right. It changed everything. But nowadays, there is no roughhousing in basketball. It's a different game now. Three-point game, yeah. You know, well, now it's a ticky-tack touch is a foul. Yeah. Well, well, when Jordan played, they would kill each other. Yeah. You know, um, I think LeBron would have thrived, yeah. you know, having to play a rough game. I don't know if Steph Curry would have thrived a good point. in playing that uh, rough game. So it's interesting to see how, you know, just a generation later. How the evolution of sport, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it, it's amazing, you know. All right, you know, um, two things that we have to get to before we uh, call it a day. Next week, we're going to be doing our podcast on the road from Nashville. That's true. You know, true. Um, we're going to be in Nashville because Larry has a big event going on. <laughs> That's true. And, 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 and I just can't wait to, to picture uh, you walking along with Ed Two Tall Jones. <laughs> you know, we'll be taping you guys together. We might have to have two cameras. That's, that's, that's a good Larry point. Here's Larry and here's Ed Tutal. That's a good you know, point. They're going to be walking together. That's a good point. These two football players. <laughs> I'm well, sorry. You know, uh, we're, we're, very, we're very... Um, I've talked to so many former players that are so happy about coming to Nashville on the 12th for the Salute to Greatness. Uh, that's the name of the event. And the, at Tennessee State. At Tennessee State. Where exactly. all you guys went to school. Hey, all of us went to school there. Uh, it'll be different eras represented, right, right. which I like as well. Uh, you know, Claude Humphrey goes way back, and Ed goes way. I do too, actually. Yeah. But we'll have a lot. Right now, I heard it was right at 49 guys. 49? Oh, wow. That have... Uh, you know, that just blows me away, too, to think 49 guys from Tennessee State went to the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not all of them. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Some guys are not able to travel. Right. Some guys are in such bad shape they can't travel. But yeah. I think it's going to be an exciting time. We're really looking forward to it. It's uh, a fundraiser for the school. It's a fundraiser for the school and specifically for uh, rebuilding of the stadium. Right. And to help the football locker room program. Right, right. And so they've, they've invited, you know, Nashville has just grown exponentially. A lot of companies, as you know, right, and right. you will be there. Right, right, uh, right, right. They're there. So they've invited all these companies, and each one of the former players, excuse me, are hosting a table or hosting multiple tables. And uh, that's how we're trying to raise money right, for right. So we're really excited about it. And we're, we're excited that the fact that the school is, is um, focusing on education. Uh, athletics has been a historical point for it, but the president uh, of that university has just really focused on education and and safety on the campus. Right. A lot of the HBCUs are having a lot of good conversations now about how to attract students and make sure that their environment is healthy. And they can, people listening can make a donation to Tennessee State. Just mail a check in. Send we, it to the president of the school. That's right. Mail that's that right. check in, you know, and, and help out. Um, no, it, it still amazes me when you told me that time that uh, <clears throat> there were 23 seniors or something on the football team when you were a junior and... Yeah. All of them, or 22 of them, went to the NFL, and the next year there was like 22 guys that were seniors when you were a senior, and all of you except one or so went to the NFL. That's it true. just blows me away to think about that. That's where you talk about good coaching. It does. So and that's it, where I think coaching was important, because uh, you guys all made it. Well, you know, I think coaching has been probably, unfortunately or inadvertently, only aligned to sport. Right, right. I think coaching is a mentorship. Right, right. You've coached me. Right. Uh, you have. You've coached me in, in, 
and the things that we're doing and how to, how to do the podcast and how to, to do the things that relates to this industry. Right. So I think, I think people with good hearts and that have other people's interests in mind, like yourself, I think those all can be called coaches. You okay, know. okay. Good yeah. Enough. Now let me ask you a question. <laughs> have you been around Lifford Hobley too much lately? Uh, yeah, I was around him yesterday, actually. Well, the reason I say that, I'm noticing an LSU sticker on your lapel there. That's actually TSU. Oh, is that? Oh, well, you know, I'm old. Who could see that far? <laughs> right. Okay. But you recognized it, which was good. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Okay, what's TSU? Tennessee State University. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right. So I thought I would promote yeah, my yeah, college yeah. today yeah. along with the NFL. Yeah, okay. Now I can see that little one piece for the team. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm seeing LSU when I look at that, and I'm thinking Lifford's been around you. Too you know, much. And I'm going, why are you wearing that? <laughs> but that one you can wear, you know, yeah. and wear it proudly. All right, last but not least, there was a, a, a book came out that's very personal to you, uh, written by Kimberly Archie. Uh, Kimberly has been a, host, a, a guest on your show, yeah. The Extra Point. Uh, you can hold up the book there for the camera yeah. and uh, tell us a little bit uh, um, about it. Okay, it's, the, uh, it's called Brain Damaged. It right. was launched uh, yesterday at the Four Seasons, and right now it's on the number one bestseller list in New York. Right. Uh, what we talk about, it's written by actually uh, a group of people. Right, right. I think 19 mothers now, but 19 mothers that lost their sons in high school sports and in donating their brains, they found that they had the same CTE that professional athletes would have. Right, right. And so they've started a national program to make people aware, make the parents aware of the impact of football, not to destroy the game. Right. But uh, they started a program called Flag Before 14. Right, right. Uh, and they do that because scientific evidence now shows that the brain bounces up against the skull prior to pu puberty. And therefore... If you play flag football or something that doesn't disrupt it, it, it gives you gives a time you know, to develop. Exactly, it. exactly. And then the other program they have is called the Faces of CTE Families. Those are the same mothers that have lost their children, but now they've bound together and they are trying to get the information out as as much as possible to parents to talk about their experiences. So I was very proud to be a part of this. Uh, Daniel um, Carcello. Former hockey player. Exactly. He wrote the foreword yeah, of it, yeah, and he yeah. was very excited about doing it. And if you notice that it's a child, but in the helmet you can see that brain. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. please, we'd like for people to go out and, and buy it. There's a lot of good information in here, and it's a lot of information about the pushback that some of the parents have had and how they have recovered right. from that. Now, do you think, are parents being pressured not to let their kids play football? Uh I think parents are be are giving more information about the impact right. of football at certain ages. Right. Now, I didn't play f physical football. I was a baseball player mostly in my early time. But um, parents now, we're not pushing people away from football. We're saying, let's develop the body. Let's make sure the brain is stable prior to right. putting right. severe head trauma into the game. So how old were you when you started football? I was around the eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade. I think I played one year of junior high, so that would be 14, 15. Right, right. So you weren't playing like Pop Warner football no. and, and those things. Okay. In fact, uh, we couldn't, uh, the town I grew up in, same town Ed grew up in, Tutal grew up in, we didn't really have much football. He didn't play. Yeah, football. I know. You know, Ed told us when he was on your show, yeah. he told us that uh, he, 
He played football when he walked on at Tennessee State. Yeah. We were, one thing about our community, we had a lot of playgrounds, and we've talked about how important right. that was. There wasn't, and we couldn't afford all of that equipment. So baseball was, prim our prim baseball and basketball were our primary um, sports, and every, every um, park had a tennis court. Right, right. So more play, you know, kids played tennis yeah, uh, most yeah, than anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. All right, so now next week when we're in Nashville, you are going to make sure I get to see Wayman Bryant and Richard Dent, aren't you? Well, you know, as my I head coach, well, as my head coach, I, I, I fear not uh, following up with what you've assigned me to yeah. do. So I'm leaving tomorrow, and I'll make sure that I have everything prepared. Perfect. For you when you get there. All right, man. Well, let's get out of here, and I will meet up with you next week in Nashville. All right. All right look forward to it. Look forward to it. Look forward to it.